Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Your monks, good company. The company of the disciples, the company of the disciples here, here at Calvary, and we're all on this journey together. So we're going to go all the way back into Matthew 6. And we're going to see what Jesus said about prayer in what became known as the model prayer. Some people just call it the Lord's Prayer. Some call it the model prayer. Both of them work. I have no objection to either one. It is a model of sorts. And it is definitely the Lord's Prayer. So whatever, however you want to refer to it, that's fine. But in Matthew 6, 5 through 9 is what we're going to discover, or what we're going to dig into today. But for the rest of this series, we're going to be going just line by line, truth by truth, throughout this section of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. This was the best sermon ever preached. This was hands down the, the sermon above every other sermon. A sermon that has confounded scholars for thousands of years, that people have gotten many, many, many doctorate degrees, trying to discover and, and just scratching the surface on what it was that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 5, is where we're going to begin, Matthew 6. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who's unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgiven, as have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when, you for, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus is anticipating our prayers, is he not? How do I know this? Again, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Many of you read that with me. It's because Jesus starts out like this. And when you pray, it's right there. He's anticipating that his kids are going to go to him in prayer. So he gives two cautions within this passage. And we'll get there eventually. But notice he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. So if you want a vibrant prayer life, if you want to grow in your walk with Jesus, your prayer game has to be on point, including how you position yourself. So if you want a vibrant prayer life, your prayer life has to be on point. 
You have to be a student of prayer. You have to be someone who participates in prayer. But this begins with how you position yourself. There's two different ways that Jesus says not to position yourself right in the passage. The first one he mentions right here in verse 5. And he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Notice what Jesus says next. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. This is Jesus' way of saying they have already received what they wanted because all they wanted was attention. And not the attention of God. They wanted the attention of man. And Jesus says, they prayed on street corners. They prayed to be seen by men. And guess what? Any sort of ooh and ah they got from people around them, they already got it. But what they didn't get was me. They didn't get me. Jesus says they didn't get God. They didn't, they didn't get that, the building of a relationship with their heavenly father. They didn't get that. Instead, what they got was they got the attention or the applause of people around them. This has to do with how we position ourselves with God. If you have a cell phone, please get it out. Don't, you don't even have to turn it on. I don't want you to be tempted to go on Facebook, <laughs> pay your bills, check your email. I don't, just, I'm not trying to tempt you. I just want you to pick your phone up. All right. I, know, I realize some of you have a flip phone. My analogy and illustration will work for you too. We, we'll probably pray for you too, but if you have a flip phone, that's absolutely fine. No judgment at all. Rock what you got. I don't, I don't care. All right, so I want you to pick the phone up. I want you to put it up to your mouth. No, you're not going to smell your breath, okay? You're not. I want you to breathe onto the screen. <sighs> what happened just now? It fogged up your screen. It did. If you fog the screen, then you indeed are alive. You just gave proof that you're alive. That's good. You're alive. Yeah, amen. That was sad, but still. <laughs> Just as people who are alive can breathe, born-again Christians can pray powerful and precise prayers. Just as, as people who are alive can breathe, my brothers and sisters in Christ can pray powerful and precise prayers. You can put your phones away. No more temptation. One of the writings I was looking at as I was studying for this message really stood out to me, and I don't believe this is a translation of the Bible. I know there's been debate about this. I'm not willing to debate this. The debate's already over. But there's a contemporary interpretation of the Bible that Eugene Peterson wrote years ago called The Message, and this is what he said, the way that he just wrote about, and really I, I refer to it more as a commentary than a, 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 a true translation, but here's what he said in regards to this passage in Matthew 6. He says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. 
Just be there as simply and honestly as you manage, as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and, and you will begin to sense His grace. This is what he says of verse 7 through 13. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques, for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. To me, I found that very refreshing when I looked at that, when I read that. It was like, I don't have to role play with God. I can just sit simply, and I can just pray simply to my heavenly father. Getting back to the passage at hand in verse 5, and when you pray, Jesus says. So really it's this, the choice is not whether to pray, but which prayer to pray. So it's not whether to pray, because more than likely you're going to pray, but it's which prayer you will pray. Will you pray a non-precise and non-powerful prayer, a kind of a wimpy prayer, or will you pray a bold, faith-filled, courageous just expecting God to move and relinquishing your will to his will and allowing for an allowance of even if your will doesn't allow for his, will you allow God to be God and offer up a precise and powerful answer to the prayer you're asking? So the, the choice is not whether to pray, but which prayer will you pray? You know, there's a prayer that comes naturally to all of us. And it's a prayer that's much more like this. My name be hallowed. My kingdom come. My will be done. That's a prayer of independence and willfulness. That is a prayer rooted in the kingdom of self. But I would like to offer you a better version. Jesus' version when He said, our Father in heaven, I'm going to dig more into this next week, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This breaks down the kingdom of self because this is a prayer with surrendered autonomy and a willingness to serve God. This is a prayer of the kingdom of God. Notice in this passage there's something that Caught me off guard, really. Maybe it did for you, too, in verse 5 again. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. It's interesting when you, you, there's many ways to apply what I just read, but one of the ways to apply this is in this way. A person should not pray in public if they aren't praying in private. You should not be the person who says, well, I'll pray for us, if you're not praying alone. If you're the person who, even that everybody counts on to pray in public because you're willing to speak in public, and if you have not been actually speaking to the Father in private, the best thing you can do is to relinquish that prayer to somebody else who is walking with God, even if they're not so eloquent in words as you are. 
Because one of the best things we can do as it is applying this message and what Jesus is saying here is we don't want to be the hypocrites who go on babbling in public to be heard by people without the favor of God. Because the hypocrites did not have the favor of God. All they wanted was the attention of the people around them. And, and if we want to actually apply this truth, as I know that you want to apply this truth, you should not be praying in public if you're not also praying in private. Because that's hypocritical behavior. So is it wrong to pray in public? Somebody say no. Somebody, just one person, say no. That was your spot. Okay, so good, good, thank you. You're right. It is not wrong to pray in public at all. 1 Timothy 2.1 says this, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Different types of prayers are mentioned there in 1 Timothy 2. And the discipline of regular prayer is also good. All devout Jews prayed three times a day, including Daniel. And Daniel modeled this. You may remember in Daniel 6 when he's in the middle of a spiritual crisis. And in the middle of the spiritual crisis, is there's people who are trying to trap him because they just simply don't like Daniel. And they know that Daniel is, is a godly man. So they twist the Persian king, who's a pagan king, by the name of Darius, they, they twist him, in, Darius, into making this edict or decree saying that if anyone prays to any god or any, any other thing other than King Darius, then they should be killed. Well, King Darius, and you can read about this yourself in Daniel 6, King Darius he caves under the pressure and he knows that Daniel's a good man, and yet even reluctantly, he has to go through, and he has to go through and, and follow through with this because in the middle of this crisis, Daniel still prayed. As a matter of fact, what's incredible is there's a mention of, of an open window and Daniel praying at the window just as he had always done in Daniel 6.10. So Daniel, he knows to pray, and he's in the middle of a crisis, and God moves some mountains. They just happen to look like closing some mouths of some lions. But God heard his prayer, affirmed Daniel's faith, closed the mouth of the lions, and Daniel wasn't a martyr for the faith. Instead, he's also a hero of the faith, because he stood against that, that opposition by faith, and God performed a miracle, and Daniel prayed. In verse 6 and 7, we see something else about posture. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, notice he says it again, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. The posture of a praying person matters. It's the posture of your heart. Are you praying with, with good intentions? Or when you go to God in prayer, are you treating God as if that's the bank teller? 
You know, you go through the drive-thru at the bank and you want to have your check cashed. It's just about that transaction. You're not trying to really build a relationship. You're trying to get out of there. So you just pull up to the window. You fumble with the little thing. Does it open this way? Does it open sideways? I don't know. It's not the same as my old bank. Sign your, sign your things, you know, your documents, and you put them in there. You're not trying to make a friend. What you're trying to do is trying to get the transaction over so you can go to the next thing. When, when we go to God in prayer, if you want to pray a powerful and precise prayer, don't treat God like, he, like and don't treat prayer like it's a transaction. Like, I go to God, and then He gives me this. If I do this, God will automatically do this. Because what gets twisted in the, in the middle of that is thinking that we can actually conjure up a plan to twist God's arm so that His will automatically becomes our will. Good news, bad news. God is not like that. So the posture of a praying person matters. Don't treat God like He's just a bank teller, just ready to do you a service. Because prayer is relational. Prayer is relational. Notice what it says in verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to the Father who's unseen. Rather than, and I think some people maybe have taken this too far, maybe not far enough. I don't know. We can have a discussion. But I think some people have taken this to mean that I've got to go into a prayer closet. I have to have a certain prayer closet in my house, and it's just my prayer closet, and we don't hang clothes in that closet. That's just where I pray, and I have a chair in there, my Bible in there, the light in there, and like, or sometimes it's dim, but I need a little dimmer in there, and sometimes I need a bright, sometimes not. Sometimes I go to sleep. I need to stay awake. You get the dilemma. You get it, right? Sometimes I think we, we do all of these things, and what we do is we try and set up a pretense to say, I can only pray when all of these things are right. And if you have a, a prayer closet in your house and you pray in a closet, praise God for you. But all, if all you have is a chair that you, you kneel down or you sit down in and you pray to God, praise God for you. If you pray walking around your neighborhood, praise God for you. I think we can get stuck in so many of the mechanical things about prayer. So what Jesus is saying in this passage is don't get stuck and to say, okay, well, you have to go into a room and you have to close the door. And this is the only way the Father's going to hear you. That is just simply not true. What he's talking about primarily is, it's not just the emphasis on secret prayer, but to purify our motives in praying. That's really the crux of this. But there is a mention of closing the door, so I, I would be remiss not to dig into this. You see, we're to close the door against a couple things, against disturbance and distraction. And you're shutting out the prying eyes of other people, but you're opening yourself up to God. Again, you don't have to have a room, but there's definitely some wisdom in this. i got to press you a little bit when it comes to this, though. One of the things that, that we do, we may even have a prayer closet or, or a certain place that we pray, 
But unfortunately, we bring these things with us. So it's like you go to God in prayer and then your phone lights up. Oh, I got a message. Oh. And then all of a sudden you're in a rabbit hole. And then you're, then you're clearing your messages. And, well, I'm here. I'm just going to check my email. I really shouldn't check my email. I'm going to check my email. I wish I wouldn't have checked my email. And, and then you get roped into all these other things. So whatever, however it is that you're going to apply this truth this morning in your own particular way, just know that the greatest disturbance that you probably have is in your pocket or your purse at all times. So we need to be mindful of that and make decisions to guard ourselves, our, our spiritual lives, to guard ourselves from those things by which could keep us distracted or disturbed from doing what it is that God wants. But I think it, one of the, and I know this from my own personal life, and I'll be able to see it on your faces when I say this, sometimes when I sit down to pray, my mind can conjure up the most awful things. The most awful things. My thought process can be, I can be great. I can have my coffee ready, my Bible sitting right there, my journal with my people I'm praying for right there. I can have all those things right there. And I sit down in the chair and I put the footrest up and I put a blanket on my feet and I can have the Bible open. And in that moment, I can just have a flood of negativity. I can have a flood of poison just just racing through my mind. And what I've noticed is this. When I sit down, I have to, when I'm sitting down, sometimes that distraction in prayer is actually uncovering a sin that I have to confess and repent of. So sometimes that distraction or disturbance is actually spiritual warfare. And in that moment, as soon as I sit down and prepare my heart and prepare my mind to read the word of God or to speak to God in prayer, as soon as that happens, and if I have a flood of negativity... Many, many times, shamefully, I just say, and I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not proud of this at all, but I just want you to know that, that in the midst of this, oftentimes those thoughts are actually connected to a sin that I need to confess and something I need to repent of. And I bet it the same is true of you. Because when we sit down to pray and you commit that time to God, it's in that moment that the enemy understands the power that you possess And he's wanting to thwart, good Bible word, or squash any power that you may be able to possess before you actually get into prayer. So pray genuine prayers. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even Ask, just pray genuine prayers. And the length of, your, of our prayers is less important than the substance of your prayers. The length of your prayers is not as important as the substance of your prayers. And prayer is not an algorithm. You hear a lot about algorithms right now in computer science. There's an algorithm for everything. You go on Facebook, there's an algorithm controlling how much influence you have. Instagram, Snapchat. TikTok, all of them. There's an algorithm letting you know or letting you be just have whatever influence you have. And that's the reason why you could put one post and 50 people may see it. And you send another one and two people may see it. It's because the algorithm didn't like you. Or it didn't like your message. You see, an algorithm is actually 
I can't really nerd out on this too much because I don't know much about it. So I'll give you an illustration about something I know a lot about, and that's lasagna. <laughs> if, you, if you, for instance, you decided you wanted to have some lasagna, which is always a good decision. If you wanted to have lasagna, first step, if you didn't know how to make it, first step, maybe you'd go to the internet and you'd look for a recipe, step one. So you go look for a recipe for whatever, knockout lasagna, whatever it's called. Okay, step one, look online, get a recipe. Step two, go to the cupboard. Look in the cupboard, see what ingredients you have from the recipe. Step three, go to the store and buy the other ingredients you don't have. Step four, come home. Step five, go back to the store for the things you forgot. Then go home, take all your ingredients. Cook the lasagna. Enjoy the lasagna. That's an example of an algorithm. Because an algorithm is this, if you want a predictable outcome, it's just setting up a scenario to where you get what you want. That's what an algorithm is. And it's not new just because we hear about it now. There's, there's actually proof historically that there have been algorithms since the ancient Babylonian days, a couple thousand years before the birth of Jesus. So this isn't a new, new crisis that we're in the middle of. But prayer is not an algorithm. It's not twisting God's arm. It's not, if I do this, I want this outcome, this is what I have to do. God doesn't work like that, thankfully. And I just want to end on this. God the Father enjoys hearing from his kids. One simple and I think powerful illustration will be this. Remember when I was a, a new dad, both of my kids, they would, they would take a piece of paper like this and they would take a pen and they'd write down some scribbles on a piece of paper, and they'd just be furious. And you see them do it, and they'd just be furious. And then they go, and they just pass it on. They're so excited to give it to me, and they just be like, here. And I'm like, awesome. And then you hear that dreaded question. Do you know what it says? And as a dad, I have no idea what it says. Because it's nothing but scribbles. So instead, as being a good dad, I say, wow, that's amazing. I've never seen, I've never seen artwork like this. You're going to be Picasso one day. No, you don't say that. <laughs> and you don't say, oh my goodness, I think you are Shakespeare in the works. You don't say that either. Instead, as a good parent, you pass it back to him and say, wow, this is incredible. Why don't you tell me what it means? You know, sometimes we don't even know what to pray. And sometimes we're the ones with just like scribbles out of our mouth. We don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. And your prayers may seem like scribbles to you. But God can understand them all. 
You may ask, well, pastor, how, how is that? He understands them because he understands you. He understands you and I better than we understand ourselves. Praise God for that. I also praise God for you. I praise, I praise God for you because I know that many of you are praying people. And you pray for me, you pray for the church, you pray for your friends, praying for breakthrough with your friends, and you don't take prayer lightly. In many ways, you prayer warriors, you set the example for a lot of us. So I just want to say thank you, and I just want to say praise God for you. The reason why I can talk about how powerful prayer is and how we can ask God precisely for what we need, even though knowing that he already knows what we need, is because really what God wants is us. And one of the biggest mountains to move is our hearts closer to the heart of God. Would you stand? We're going to sing a song in, in response, and, and this is a song of declaration. And you can respond in the way that God wants you to respond, but when we respond in singing, it's just saying to God, saying, God, yes, I will. God, God's going to be here for us. He's going to do it. And, and it's us just singing this praise back to Him with confidence and boldness knowing that God hears and God cares and God moves. So as we sing this song, let's sing in confidence this morning, shall we?